So I have a question for you. What's the best email marketing platform for creators? It's ConvertKit. It combines powerful automation with an easy to use interface. The heart of their business is their visual automation tool that allows you to deliver the right message to your audience at the right time. They have pre-built landing pages and forms so creating and sending out copy is extremely easy. I personally use it with my business when I'm doing webinars. And you can use it too. Right now we have an exclusive offer for you. ConvertKit is giving you a freemium membership with full access to the landing pages, forms, and email marketing for free, up to 1,000 subscribers. They are one of the only platforms that allows you to add your Facebook pixel to it for free. It allows you to create automation and it allows you to get the ball rolling with your business. And of course, it integrates with Shopify, Wix, Squarespace, Gumroad, and a ton of other platforms. So what you're going to do is you're going to hit the podcast description and click the link there to get you to this freemium account. It's an amazing service, so make sure you try it out, guys. Let me know how it goes for you. I want to know. All right, let's get into the show. Uh, a lot of things when it comes to finances is caught. It's not really taught. You know, when we grow up, we see how our parents manage money, and most of us will eventually follow into that path. doesn't matter how many of us say we're not going to be like our parents. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it just happens because it's just like habitual. You just watched it so many times that it's almost like muscle memory. I'm going to follow. And so when your parents did a lot of their, their investments and finances through the bank, they've either subliminally or straight up told you that's the way to do it because that's what they always did. And that's what their parents always did. And it's kind of just like breeding down that line. And then it's, it's going to be passed on to the next generation. And the problem is if, if you don't understand simple financial concepts that are being taught out there, you're losing your money. Now, the banks aren't evil. The banks are not. They have a, an incredible purpose in, in our economy. We need the banks for so many things that they do, but we just don't need them for everything that they do. Also over everything podcast. This is the podcast where you receive stories, tips, and tactics from entrepreneurs who've done it to help you grow your business and take yourself to the next level as a person. Later today on the podcast, we have Mario Franchella, founder and co-owner of Win Financial. He's been in the finance industry for over four years now. He started under the concept of education as a deceptive tool and has really grown an interesting business and has a lot of gems. So You got to talk about finance. It's very important as entrepreneurs. So I'm excited to get into this one. But first, you're Owen. What's good with you, bro? How you doing? I'm doing good, bro. We're talking about finances in this episode. One of my favorite topics to always discuss. You know, finances is like the the nucleus of like you as a being, right? It controls everything you do. Um, You might think money is not everything, but money is everything. Because without money, you can't really get A, B, C, D done you can't make it through the whole alphabet right so i really like how mario really showcased a come up from this episode right he started from nothing and he really made himself he's like self-made just from self-taught no education so it's really inspiring just to see that and like just to see like a man just take control of his life when like he had nothing going for him and just transform himself to something that was really inspiring, man. And I think that's why we do these this, these podcasts, this hustle over everything. It's taking someone from nothing and just using your own sheer will and perseverance to make yourself into something that you have in your mind and you make it and you accomplish it. That's what really 
inspired me through this episode, as well as I, I, we learned a lot from him, which the guests are going to love, all the finance tips and et cetera. Facts, bro. He, he was on point with everything, um, and I get a lot of gems, bro. That's what I really liked. He really this guy's a hot spitter, man. Like bars after <laughs> <Don't> bars. <kill. laughs> Super hot fire, boy. <laughs> Don't kill me. <laughs> Yo, what's that? Glasses, jacket, shirt. Call me glasses, jacket, shirt, man. You remember? Ooh, who, oh, you remember? super hot fire. <laughs> super hot fire. I call me super hot because I'm super hot, boy. Mm-hmm. Bro, back in But I'm not a rapper. Dog. Yeah, but I'm not a rapper. You know? Mm-hmm. It's like, remember that, that one? He's like, bada boop, bada boop, bop, bop, bang. And then all his boys just like, ah. yeah. Oh, man. Good Back times, man. man. Good times, yeah. bro. Shout out to that, dude. But yeah, man. Um, Without further ado, guys, let's get into the podcast with Mario Franchella. You know, make sure you have notes ready. You know, make sure you're prepared to learn about finance. All right. I'll see you on the other side, guys. Peace out. Have a great Monday, guys. Hey, what's up, guys? To support the show for free, here are some main options. If you're on Apple, make sure you rate and write a review of our podcast. This makes a huge difference and helps support the show. If you're on Spotify, follow us. If you're on Google Play, subscribe and auto-download so you'll be notified and have a fresh pod ready to go when we drop. Lastly, make sure you share the podcast on Instagram or whichever social platform you use and tag us. On Twitter, we're at 247Hustlers. On Instagram, we're at 247Hustler. And on Facebook, we're Hustle Over Everything. And now, guys, you gotta pay attention to this point. We just dropped a new newsletter. It's called The Underrated. It's a weekly newsletter that breaks down untold stories that highlight game-changing business strategies that shape our sports music and culture it drops once a week on mondays early in the morning to prep you for the week so subscribe to that and we'll see you in the pod all right ladies and gentlemen today we have a special treat for you Today we have Mario Franchella on the podcast. You know, he is a sales wizard. You know, he is the owner and founder of Win Financial. Um, he's been in the finance industry for four years now. And I'm really excited to talk to you guys about his journey and the business he's built. So Mario, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm looking forward to this for uh, for a while now, so I'm good. Amazing, amazing. Oh, man. Owen, let's go with you, man. How you doing? Man, you know, another another Wednesday for me as well. It's textbook Wednesday. I call it a textbook Wednesday. You know, you, you woke up, you ate the same breakfast, um, you went to work, spoke to the same clients, did your thing, had the same conversation with your colleagues, you wrap up work, you turn on ESPN, catch up on some news, man. It's it's one of those like July seventh, twenty twenty one Wednesdays that will just go in the books. Got you, got you, got you. Do me a favor, come back to my mic a little bit. You, you're sounding a little bit muffled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about that? Boom, boom, perfect. A little bit better, better, better. Awesome. So, Mario, one thing that I discovered that we both have in common is that you're from Scarborough. You know, you're from the same town as me. So, walk me through, you know, some of your early days in Scarborough. Um, what was your favorite spot to eat in Scarborough? Johnny's Burger was my favorite oh. spot in, in, in Scarborough. 
I sure. I gotta was... get that out of the way first. Johnny uh, Bur- Johnny's Burgers is good. Man, my respect for you. Good, but it's always packed, so I loved it, man. I don't know. Always. I used to live walking distance away from from Johnny's Burgers. You know, it's right on the border of Scarborough, North York. You know, so Victoria Park and Shepherd, and mm-hmm. uh, it's one of the best burgers in town for sure. Definitely the best burger in Scarborough. You know, yeah. like I took when I took my girl there, it was like a like a rite of passage. Like, you know, all right, I'm taking you to, to Johnny Burgers now. This means that we're official. Oh, that's official, man. That's you see how man. you see how she reacts, and she if she reacts the same way you react, you know she's a real one. Exactly, and if she's not, then yeah, like you know we can say this. You know, That's a That's I gotta, I gotta have a conversation with God. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But um, yeah, I want to get into your backstory. You know, we always like to start with the backstory. Um, let, let's talk about where, where you're from, man. Um, break it down where you're from, where you were raised. Let's get into it. So yeah, for me, I was it was a, a little bit different growing up. I was bouncing around a lot. We moved a lot. Uh, my dad was an entrepreneur, didn't make a ton of money back then when we were kids. And my mom stayed home mom. So money was always an issue for us. So we would be bouncing house to house, to cousin to cousin. We never really had our own place till I was uh, a little bit older, around 14, when we actually had my first like home. Like This is ours, like my own bed. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what that felt like. So uh, growing up, it was tough. You know, money was not uh, a part of our equation. We didn't talk a lot about it. Everyone had debt. Everyone was stressed. Work was negative for everybody. And so I grew up in that that culture. And so I always just looked for ways out. Uh, you know, I got into a lot of trouble as a kid. I did a, a lot of things that, I, you know, at that time I felt were survival. It was just part of who I am. I had to do it. Uh, now looking back, a lot of that is the reason I am the way I am today. You know, it mm-hmm. developed a lot of mental toughness. It, it allowed me to kind of break through into the person I am today. But back then it was about survival. I didn't think about the future. I just wanted to get ahead of the next 24 hours, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was an interesting time growing up. Uh, then we kind of moved out of Scarborough area. Uh, we kind of went to the small town, complete opposite. So I moved into like the farmland, which was yeah. like a culture shock for me. I wasn't used to that, sleeping at night, and it was dead silent. That was weird for a while. It took a while to get used to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from there is where I kind of started to learn about everything. I, I developed a better friend group. I people that were actually going places and wanted to do stuff with their life. And I'm lucky to have made that because I don't know if I would have survived through it. So many of my friends passed away from either drunk driving, drugs, alcohol, violence, like whatever. And it was nice to be part of a group that just didn't, that wasn't part of their future. So you, I think I got out at the right time. You also mentioned you dropped out of high school at the time. Yeah, grade uh, ten, man. I still what? have it. I still have a grade ten education. Jeez, hey, that's yeah. interesting. And like looking at where you're at right now in the finance world and not completing like the basics of education, which everyone has like a free right to in Canada. Yeah. Um, when you look back now and compare your time then. Do you always feel some sort of insecurity, like your education matched up to, you know, what you do in finance and you're like, hey, you know, this guy hasn't finished high school. Hey, and this is just to like for comparisons, right? I'm just making assumptions, yeah. right? How, how do you feel when you when you reflect back on that? Does it give you an advantage? Like, you know what I'm using as a chip on my shoulder or is it like a, from a place of like, damn, I wish I, I completed that high school degree? So. It's funny, it, it switched over the years. In the beginning, mm-hmm. it was something I was embarrassed about. Like I'd go out with a girl, I'd never tell them that. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want, you know, I I don't know why that was a big deal, but I still want them to look like I was a bum, like I was a failure. So in the beginning, it actually worked against me. 
because uh, I felt like I always I was playing like the victim, like, oh, well, these guys are getting opportunities because they had the opportunity to finish school. You know, I had to go to work to help pay bills and stuff. So mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I had the same opportunities as everyone else. And I was using it as an excuse. And now later on in life, I looked at it like exactly like you said, it, it became a chip on my shoulder. Like, I'm not going to let my past stop me from creating success. You know, you're mm-hmm. going to talk down to me. I'm going to use that now as fuel to push forward. So yeah. now I openly share the fact that I didn't finish high school. I'm proud of it now. And not in the sense that I, I don't think people should finish. I'm proud to know that how tough that was and to get to where I got. You know, I, I, education I, tests your memory, man. It doesn't test your knowledge. It doesn't test anything else. There's, uh, you know, in Thinking Grow Rich. Uh, have you read that book before, Mario? Yeah, of course. One of the first books I read. Yeah. All time great favorite book for me as well. So there's one place in the book where he talks about education and the root of education and the the verb of it, it's a Latin word called educo, right? Meaning that education comes from within, right? You're bringing it out. So education is like, it's it's a part of you. Like you can educate yourself on anything. You don't need a standard degree or college yeah. diploma, whatever. It's educo, meaning from within, you're bringing it out. So essentially you are educated, but you're educated in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, what I learned about people and myself and developing that mental toughness of always feeling like I was the underdog. I think that's the reason why so many people become successful. It has nothing mm-hmm. to do with school. It's sometimes just you're you're in that surrounding and there's going to be people that make it and there's just going to be people that don't. I look back at my friends who made gave me such a hard time on not finishing school. They all went to universities. They all got these degrees and none of them are in the field that they even went to school for. Mm-hmm. Not a single one of them. So yeah. I got a chance to experience the world, find my passion, find what I'm good at, develop my skills. And I enjoy my life every day. These guys come home from work and I love my friends with all my heart. Mm-hmm. And I've known these guys forever, but they come home from work and they're not happy. They're not mm-hmm. thrilled. They're just doing what they have to do to survive now. So it's like the roles have switched. I spent the yeah. first 14 years of my life surviving. Now I get to enjoy my life. Everyone else was enjoying their life, doing their thing. And now they're all surviving. So it's just crazy how that flips. And if you want it bad enough, you're going to get it. It doesn't matter if you're out of school or mm-hmm. not. Facts. What, where, I'm curious to know, like, grade 10, you're 14, to actually developing this mindset of a growth mindset where you're like, you know what, I'm going to take this negative into a positive. At what point did you get to that position? I was uh, 18. And I remember it clearly because I had a, a group of friends that were always putting me in the wrong places. And that's just how it was back then. And I had one friend of mine, uh, her name is Daniela, rest in peace. She passed away when she was 21. Mm-hmm. And she was always the one to tell me, you know, you got to get out of this. You got to push forward. You got to you gotta do something more with your life. You're better than your friends. And I'm talking about my friends then. My friends now are the greatest friends in the world, man. But back then it was just, it wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. And she was caught up in that world too. And she passed away because of an abusive boyfriend. And it was in that moment that I'm like, man, the one person that's ever believed in me is not here anymore. I don't want to let them down. I didn't get a chance to, to save them. So I, the least I can do is, is make sure that what they saw in me doesn't go to waste. Yeah. And so I started working my butt off. At that time, I was working in the restaurant industry. I was mm-hmm. a cook. Um, and I just said, screw it. I'm going to start my own company. And I started a catering company. Uh, and that's where that growth started coming in. When I was 18, 19 years old, getting into a role that was way above my knowledge level, way above my skill set. But I just was so determined to change my life around. I got rid of the people that were in my life holding me down. So it was that one moment, that one conversation we had one night that changed my life forever. 
Yeah, Danielle's probably looking down at you so proud, you know. Yeah, man, I hope so. I think it's yeah. Yeah, and, and form follows function too, Mario, right? Like once you make that change mentally, it's everything else in your life changes, like your attitude, like, you know, I'm gonna start this business, I gotta be serious. It's everything within around your environment just changes for the better, man. So big ups for you making that change at the time, man. That was that was huge. Awesome. So let, talk to us about your pivot into finance. Like, how did that happen? So my first year owning my catering company, I worked so hard because of that chip on my shoulder, I wanted to make something in my life. I was door knocking 50, 60, 100 doors a day. Uh, there was no cell phone, no social media back then. So, you know, we had to, we had to hustle in a completely different way. And uh, I made six figures my first year. And I thought, you know, this is it. Like I've made it. I'm 21 years old. I'm the highest paid person with my last name. I thought like, that's it for me. Like I found my calling. And what I didn't realize is that you shouldn't give a 21-year-old $100,000 that doesn't know anything about money. Because I bought a, a car I couldn't afford. I bought a condo I couldn't afford. Truthfully, I had a girlfriend I couldn't afford. And <laughs> when uh, I realized I didn't pay any taxes, I didn't, I didn't manage my money properly. And at 22, I lost everything. I watched my car, my girlfriend, my condo, everything got repossessed, man. And it was just, that's it. it was, everything it was became fun. a liability, no yeah, assets. And then I was like depressed after that. I'm like, man, what do I do? Like, this is all I was good at. And yeah. uh, a friend of mine who worked in finance said, why don't you just come work with me for the summer, learn a little bit about it. And you know what? Maybe the next time you open your company, you won't be so ignorant to money. Mm-hmm. And that summer turned into 13 years and I just never left. So it was just pure by chance. Didn't even think it was something I'd be good at because I had no background in, in in finance. I failed math most years I ever took it. So I just didn't think that was going to be for me. But I realized it's more about people skills than it is mm-hmm. about money or fi- or anything. So that's what uh, helped me propel. As someone who's coming into finance, like finance is like a, when you tell someone who's never went to school, like never done university in finance, I mean, it sounds like you're teaching them some like out of space type of like language right how did you approach that feeling of not having the skills the knowledge or the educational background and you're gonna jump into it with without any of that yeah i i had to i I couldn't compete when it came to natural skill Mm -hmm. uh some of these guys were just such smooth talkers you know they they were taller they were better fit they had more money they had better privilege growing up they had more background than i ever could have had I just kept telling myself, I'm just not going to let any of them outwork. That's the only thing I can control in that moment. So if they get to the office at seven, I'm going to already be there at six. If they leave the office at seven, I'm going to stay there till eight or nine. And even if I didn't have anything to do, I just wanted to psychologically get into all of their heads. And I know for me that when you get into someone's head like that, it kind of it kind of throws them off their game. That's the art People of work. Get intimidated by hard work. Yeah. And when you grow up with privilege, hard work is not always it doesn't come as easy as somebody who maybe doesn't. So I wasn't afraid of the hard work. So I knew that if these guys were going to put in eight hours a day, I was going to put in 15, 10, 12, anything above what they were doing. And because of that extra time spent in it, I started to just get better, more confident with my skills. I started watching these people who were just so much better than me. I started creeping up on that scoreboard, getting right up close to them. And that caused a lot of tension. To the point that I had to leave uh, the company that I was with because it was just causing too much problems. And then when I kind of found a, a better brokerage to attach myself to, that's when everything changed for me. They were supportive. They, you know, wanted me to grow. 
and things just took off from there. But it was always hard work. That's the one thing that I could measure. Uh, it has nothing to do with skill. Skill can be taught, but I can't teach somebody to get out of bed in the morning. I can teach you all about finance. Though. That's the only mm -hmm. thing. You got to at least bring the attitude and the work ethic. You know, this is something that has been very touchy for me because at first I used to think that being there from 6 a.m., you know, instead of someone being there at 7 or staying later is the way. But now I'm like, all right, how can I make the most of that time? Yeah. You know, um, how has that been for you? I, I bet you probably have that same experience. Um, I just want to quickly touch on that because I really want to be more effective in the time I, I'm using, you know, because all of us, you know, we're going to have kids, we're going to have life come at us. So it's going to be pertinent for us to be able to, you know, use the most and maximize time. Have yeah. you had any strategies around that for you? Yeah, like back then, it was more psychological than anything. Uh, mm -hmm. There was no strategy because I didn't always have something to do. You're absolutely right. But I also didn't have a lot of responsibilities in my life that I had to be home at a certain time. So in the kitchen, we had a, a saying, you know, if you have time to lean, you have time to clean. And so in my head, I'm like, man, I have so much time on my hands. I'm going to just put it all into this. I'm going to cut out the things that aren't serving me and I'm going to put it all into this business. That's what the propelled. I don't believe in the saying work smarter, not harder. I, I don't believe that. I think really? you have to work hard. I really don't. I think you have to learn to work smart uh, or work smarter at working harder in the right areas. Uh, and that's what people don't do. They think working smart is finding shortcuts or you can't shortcut the, the, the grind, man. You can't shortcut the like system. four hour work week type of guys. Dude, I know the guy who wrote that book. He works 80 hours a week. So I don't believe a lot of those things, right? <laughs> like you, you, you got to understand, like people will sell you anything if it, if it sounds easy. But the truth is, if you talk to anybody who's a, a true, true core to the core entrepreneur, they work their butt off, man. But yeah, they work on. smart at doing it. I also delegate a lot. I don't mm -hmm. take on any tasks in my life that I don't want to do. 100% mm -hmm. of my time is spent on income producing activities. Everything else somebody else does. I don't waste any time anymore doing stuff that doesn't serve me. Mm. Yeah, that's, so that's, that's the huge. difference. I still work hard, but just in the right areas. Nah, yeah, that, that makes more sense. Um, you touched on something that was, that was we got to expand on. We, we so got to, yeah. That, yeah, so you just said you know Tim Ferriss and that he works 80-hour weeks. Break that down. Let's dive into yeah. that. So, like, the thing is, I was part of a um, an amazing entrepreneur group called uh, uh, Archangel Academy when I first started getting into art, um, entrepreneurship. They did a lot of good work for the community, for entrepreneurs, a really big deal. Uh, loved that whole community. But I was talking to a, a person in there the new Tim Ferriss. And I'm like amazed. I'd love to meet this guy one day. And I did. And it was like such a, a, a rush. I think he's such a brilliant guy. I think his, his content is amazing. I've read all of his books, but the guy works hard. The purpose of the four hour work week is not that you only need to work four hours. It's building a life and working hard to the point that most of your income is passive, that you're not working for every dollar you have. But it doesn't mean okay, I'm just going to put the most in four hours a week. If anyone does that, you're not going to make it anyway. Tim Ferriss did not put four hours in his grind to be the successful author and, and entrepreneur he is today. There is a, a, a roadmap that you have to take. We're all on that same road. And most people just don't want to do the hard work. The reason why the four-hour work week is so successful because of the title. And that's just a play on people's innate ability to want to be lazy than anything else. 
they don't understand what the four hour work week means. They're like, man, I just don't, I don't want to work more than four hours. That's not what that book is about. It's, it's that instant gratification of like quick results, you know, yeah, just man, from working four hours. Hard for that. It's so bad for that. Our world is crazy when it comes to that right now. They yeah. want the, the, the money now, man. I listen, I've always been under the philosophy. It's better to be rich later than rich. Never. And if you keep going at a, at the rate that some people want to get rich, you're putting a cap on your own life. You're making it harder. You know how many 21-year-olds that come to me and say, I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 25? Dude, you're not. It's not going to happen. Bro, Mario, <laughs> I have a confession. I, 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 That was me back when I was like 19, man. I was so naive. I was like, you know what? Like, I was so high off my own, like, gas. I was like. I was eating my own, like, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh man, like, I'm like, I can do this 25. Cause you're seeing these blokes out here just killing it. Like these IG millionaires, these uh, people were starting apps out of nowhere. They're getting funded. Then they sold it within like 500 days. And now they're rich and balling. And you're like, oh, like that's all it takes. So now you're like in this fake existence that that could be YouTube, but that's like an anomaly. And, and I think kids our age at that time, like 21, 22, we don't really get that. We think it it can happen, but the true wealth it's it's years in the making. Like a lot of men, women don't make it till there's like a stat. A lot of entrepreneurs don't really, really make it till like their past forty ish around there. It's true. Like when I made my first hundred grand at twenty one, you think I was sitting, thinking I'm not going to be a millionaire in the next three years? Of course I did. Yeah. And it was because I was saying that that I think caused me to make so many mistakes. Because when you say, if you're 21 and you say you want to be a millionaire at 25, guess what happens? By 23, you're no further ahead. And now you're going to start becoming bitter or jaded or you're going to you know, start telling people this doesn't work or you're going to start making a lot of mistakes or doing a lot of things that aren't going to be taking you closer to that goal. And sometimes when you put that cap on yourself, you know, it's, it's not manifesting when you say I want to be rich by the time I'm 25 because there's no basis behind it. There's no game plan. We just think it's going to happen. We think the next course that we buy or the next, you know, app that we download or the next, you know, thing that we invest in is just going to always make us rich. You got to pretend like it's just not. Mm-hmm. And I think you got to have that success. Simon Sinek says it all the time. Success is about longevity. Yeah. You don't win or lose in business. You last. And the companies mm-hmm. that are the most successful are the ones that last. And if you're not building your life, your health, your business around lasting, Bars. you're going to lose because you cannot build it around winning because who are you competing against? Yeah. Hmm. I've been to an interesting um, debate me and Owen are having because the way I see it, when it comes to business, it's always a red ocean. There's no such thing as a blue ocean. You know, I want to get your opinion on this. On, on, on this, so this is interesting. All right. Let's you get know? into this again. Take two. Um, <laughs> right. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, Uber innovates. Right. But at the same time, it's a red ocean because, you know, taxis are out of business now. They're literally lost leadering, a new word, lost leadering taxis out of business. Right. Same thing with Netflix, same thing with any other company that's innovating into new space, Mm -hmm. i.e. making it a red ocean. What's your opinion? Do you think that 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 exists or or is there a point there? I want to know what what your thoughts are. That's a tough question, man. I, I look at a lot of these these companies, especially Uber. Like, there's so much risk involved in in trying to take over something like even just the taxi industry that's been around forever. You know, there's a lot of risk, and what people don't realize is Uber took a loss for 
almost every year that they've ever been in business. And they did that to just clean up on market share. And they just made their prices almost to the point that they were going to go bankrupt. But they made their price point so much lower than a taxi that it just didn't make sense to go to being a taxi. And now they charge more. If you've ever been in an Uber recently, it's way more expensive, man. Even yeah, Uber, it's like I 13 a bucks. Yeah, Uber, man, I, ordered, man. I ordered like a $6 bubble tea from Uber Eats. It was like $22. Like that's crazy. And now mm-hmm. they're making all that profit because people... The thing is with with successful companies like that, what they do is they alter your habits. And when you can alter somebody's habits, you can take over a business. So I don't know about Red Sea, Blue Sea. I don't know about all that stuff, man. Honestly, I don't. Because I just, to be in the mind of those people is brilliant. And I think when you can alter somebody's habits of doing things, when you can create ease in their life or for accessibility, you're going to have something on your hands that's special. And I think that's what I'm gravitating to and i think that's why business is changing nowadays and i think that's yeah. my 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 small soft opinion on that because uh, i don't know too much about that honestly it's not my world i don't know i don't spend a lot of time thinking about that because it's just not my space yeah there's one quote i heard that says you know businesses that succeed in this era now are businesses that buy back people's time uber is a is a business that buys back people's time right if i can be at Etobicoke with Alex, I'm like, all right, I know I'm going to get home safe. Like I can get an Uber. It's reliable. Boom. I'm never thinking about a taxi. If I'm traveling now, first thing I'm thinking about is, okay, where can I get an Airbnb, right? Airbnb is buying back time. I can find a comfortable home with spacious room. Uh, You know, we can have a cottagey. It's cheap, right? I'm getting all these luxuries in a different country other than just being stuck in my hotel. And every business is doing that. Every business is buying back your time. If you look at your phone, all those things are buying back time by communicating, utility, or or any other industry. So even the quote he goes on to say, you know, value is now broken down into either scarcity or utility, right? So we have the social apps, which go into the utility side. Then we have these communications tools like, you know, WhatsApp, you know, it's a utility. You know, it can call anyone in the world. It's free. It's reliable, like you know what I mean? So that's where true value comes. It's like either, hey, is your business a utility product or is it like a scarcity product that gets people like, if I'm not on this thing, I'm missing. If I'm not on IG, I can't DM people. I can't, you know, we can't meet you. We can't meet, we can't go on Clubhouse anymore, right? That's what they're getting you on and they they social engineer that. So you become addicted to it. You know, your thumb now goes to where Clubhouse is, like naturally. It goes where IG is naturally, and that's what they do by social engineering you and making it easy for you to to use their products. Such a good point, man. So true, especially with and Airbnb, same deal. I'm, I'm with that all the time, man. Like, if I want a good experience, I'm just going to go Airbnb. If mm-hmm. I don't feel like driving, I'm just going to call an Uber. Like, it's just become so, so accessible because, when you know, the hotels are great. Nothing wrong with that. But there's a whole, you know, checking in process. There's a whole dealing with stuff, bringing your luggage up to that floor. Now, man, you can just drive somewhere nice, park. You have the place to yourself. You don't got to worry about anything. It makes you feel like you're more important than you are. And I think people love right now to feel better or bigger than they are. And I think it plays into that, man. There's a, a culture that we are creating that we are not happy with who we are. And if we can feel more important, if we can do something that looks good online, or if it gives us accessibility, people are going to buy and Uber and, and, and Airbnb are laughing because they don't own anything. They have no overhead. 
You know what I mean? Like they don't own vehicles. They don't own property. They're using other people's money to make money, which is the best way to make money. They just package it in a way that just looks really cool. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're doing no different than what banks are doing. Banks don't earn money. Banks make money off your money. You yeah. know what I mean? They're doing what everyone else is doing. And we're, we just we just love it. We eat it up, man. You go to a bank and you say, I want to take out like, oh, let's say you have like two million. I take out two million. Like the amount of stress they will go for you not to take out. Because my mom works at the bank and she tells me, you know, she's worked like within like she's seen like the wealth management people. Yeah, and if you try and take out like most of your net worth out of the bank, the bank will do everything to stop you from doing that because they actually don't have that money on hand right then and there because it's it's circulating, it's trading. Um, you know, they're trying to make more money off that money. So it's crazy how these banks, they think, yeah, they have your money on hand, but it's actually moving within, you know, the reserves and everything like that. Yeah, man, you, 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 they can't because they have no way of earning an income. So when you give the banks money, they're going to take that money and go and make money with it. And, mm-hmm. and they always keep some on reserve in case. That's why they give you caps and limits on how much you can take out of an ATM or how much you can go to the bank teller and take out of your bank. They have to have that reserve for people to come in. But 70% of their income is circulating. It's just making them more money. Mm-hmm. And a big part of what we teach is obviously getting your money to do that for you, not allowing other people to make that much money off you for sure. But it's it's crazy. You know, we deal with banks a lot because we transfer a lot of investments out of there from our clients' accounts into better investments. And man, they will stall any any investment trade that we have for months and weeks if they can. They'll say we never got the facts. Oh, we need a wet signature now. Oh, you know what? We need a special stamp for this one. And they'll do whatever they can to stall that money because they either don't have it on hand like that or they're, they're, they just don't want to lose that money. And they're hoping the client just gets frustrated with the process and says, forget it. I'm just going to leave it with the bank. So it's tough out there, man. I get that. I, I know that feeling. Yeah, most definitely. So now let's get into into it. Like, walk us through some of the mistakes people usually make when it comes to investing the money with banks invest the money overall yeah well the thing is people you know there's just not a lot of education around it Uh, a lot of things when it comes to finances is caught it's not really taught you know when we grow up we see how our parents manage money and most of us will eventually follow into that path doesn't matter how many of us say we're not going to be like our parents Mm -hmm. sometimes it just happens because it's just like habitual you just watched it so many times that it's almost like muscle memory i'm going to follow and so when your parents did a lot of their, their investments and finances through the bank, they've either subliminally or straight up told you that's the way to do it because that's what they always did. And that's what their parents always did. And it's kind of just like breeding down that line. And then it's, it's going to be passed on to the next generation. And the problem is if, if you don't understand simple financial concepts that are being taught out there, you're losing your money. Now, the banks aren't evil. The banks are not. They have an incredible purpose in in our economy. We need the banks for so many things that they do, but we just don't need them for everything that they do. And, you know, you go in there to open up a checking account or you go in there to get a credit card and they're going to be like, hey, why don't you open up an investment? Why don't you do this? Hey, while you're here, why don't you also do this for your money? Have you looked at doing something like this? And they get you on just products. They're just overwhelming you with all these things that you should be doing. Because the truth is, where else would you go to do your finances? Banks are everywhere. They're on every single corner. The, the companies I deal with, you're not even going to know where those buildings are. Mm-hmm. So it, it, you, people want to feel safe with their money, but it's not safe. 
And the banks are notorious for just giving out low returns on your investments. They're making a lot of money, a lot yeah. of money. And if you don't know how to make that much money on your own money, you're always going to suffer. In Canada, as of 2019, guys, 74% of Canadians will have less than $100,000 at their retirement. 74%. 74. That's a Stats Canada fact as of 2019. So 74% of Canadians that retired in 2019 had less than $100,000 in their bank account. You That's can't mad. survive on that. You're in trouble. Like you're now mm -hmm. relying on kids to take care of you, government assistance. You have to know how to make your money work hard for you or there is no way of surviving nowadays. doesn't mm -hmm. matter how good your business is or how good your income is because that's going to be reliant on you doing that work. And if your body shuts down, you need to make sure your money's still working as hard for you. People mm -hmm. think they're going to live forever. And that delusion is what's keeping people broke. Mm -hmm. So one of the things you do is you talk about the knowledge, right? You spoke about earlier when we spoke, you saw deceit is like people have like the knowledge wrong, right? And, and knowledge is one of the core competencies of what Win Financial does. Yeah. Can you like expand more on this just to like see the altered difference of what we know versus how you restructure people's thinking when they look at their finances? Yeah. So what we've done and how we created and how we train our advisors is even though I'm a sales professional, I've been in sales for nearly 20 years now. I don't teach my guys sales. Mm -hmm. I teach them education and communication. And the reason for that is I never want one of our clients to ever feel sold. I never want them to feel like they're pressured. And people make better decisions and they're more loyal when they understand something. And so we want to get rid of the whole pushy sales side that's coming through on the finance world. It's just, it's been dominant in the finance world for a hundred years. It's just that pushy, no one wants to deal with uh, an insurance agent that's pushy like that. No one wants to deal with an investor that's making you feel dumb about investing your money. So what we've done is we empower our clients. We don't charge any fees for them. We're available for them seven days a week if they need us. They can call us on our cell phone. They're not dealing with operators. They're not dealing with robots. They're dealing directly with one agent and one agent only. And that gives them that peace of mind. That gives them that, that feeling of confidence. And then we're always there to support them for every single financial decision, whether we're getting paid on that or not. And number one, that keeps our clients loyal. It keeps our clients empowered. Because if you go to the bank, you have a different advisor every time you talk to somebody. You know, that's like if you had a doctor and every time you go to the doctor, it's a different doctor and you have to re-explain your condition. Yeah. You're never going to feel comfortable saying, you know, hey, listen, doc, I got a bump somewhere. I need you to take a look at it. You're not going to do that the first time you meet a doctor. That's going to come with knowing that doctor for years. They know your history. They can help you make better decisions. We just took that concept and we applied it to exactly where we are in the finance world. And that's why in 13 years, we've never had a client complaint. We've never had a single lawsuit and I have not ever lost a client. Like that's my favorite stat that we have in our company is that stat right there. Cause my whole life I have every single client I've ever had. They've never that, left. That's like a triple double in finance. If you're, yeah, man, that's it. what it is. <laughs> I'm the Westbrook of finance. I swear. Westbrook of finance. So like break down like your, your customer archetype. So like our audience can know like the type of people you're dealing with, like income, yeah. the, like geography, all the et cetera's. So this is the thing, and I feel like a lot of people get left off in this. In the, the wealth strategy world, a lot of people try to go after the big fish. You know, mm -hmm. the wealthier they think, the more money that they're going to make. When the truth is, that's such a competitive world because there's not that many wealthy people. And when you have 100,000 advisors all chasing the same fish, you're going you're gonna to struggle. You're going to struggle to eat. 
You know what I mean? So when you're doing that, it's tough. So we work a lot with the middle market, you know, everyday regular families, Canada, US, we deal with, you know, people that get up every day, go to work, come home nine to five. They're they're You know, they have kids, they have responsibilities, they have paychecks. They, they, they don't know obviously what their future is going to look like. They don't have a ton of money to have people that take care of all their finances and all their stuff. And they can just sit back and, and enjoy their life. That market is makes up 80% of our, of, of our culture, our community. We want to make sure we're giving the support and help to them. We work with a lot of the young entrepreneurs that don't understand finance yet or, or don't know how to structure their business. Small, medium, large businesses. That's what we deal with that as well. We have divisions that work solely with just business owners. Uh, and then we have people that work with just families. So we can cover a lot of ground with what we do because we're a large firm. We're across North America. Uh, so that's basically our demographic is just, you know, families, small businesses, small, and medium businesses is really our bread and butter. Let's talk about that. Yeah. What are some of the main misconceptions and mistakes you see small business owners doing when it comes to handling their finances? Yeah, uh, there's a lot. Number one, they they take advice on on certain things that maybe they shouldn't be doing. They They get ahead of themselves. They, they want to make their business look good before it, it starts making money. And so they're putting themselves in so much debt just to get the process started. And that's causing so much issues because now you're spending most of your years, your income earning years, just making that money back that you spent. And what most people don't understand, as an entrepreneur, your credit is better than your income. Because with good credit, you can use other people's money to build wealth. When you don't have good credit, now you have to rely 100% on your own money because nobody's going to give you it. So when you first start out as an entrepreneur, you have to understand there's no such thing as good debt or bad debt. There's just good debt used poorly. Mm -hmm. And if you understand how debt works and to make it work in your advantage, you can be very successful. But most people want that instant gratification, Owen, like you were saying. So even if they don't have the money now, but they have a credit card, they're going to buy it and try to pay it later. And it just doesn't work because if you're 25 years old and you have to put $3,000 on a credit card because you just don't have the money, you've been working for probably the last eight, nine years. You don't have $3,000. What makes you think that the next eight or nine years you're going to automatically have $3,000? Mm -hmm. So don't put yourself in that position. You know, use debt to your advantage to build your credit. Don't use it to put yourself in the hole because you want to make your office look nice or you want to make sure your website is top notch or you want to pay for marketing and doing all these things you're just getting way too big for for what you can afford so being lean in the beginning is really important and the thing is most people don't get me wrong that stuff does draw in business it mm -hmm. does and you have to have that look don't get me wrong but for most people you got to make sure you have the skill set and you can have the capacity to even take on the amount of business you're trying to bring on you know yeah. most people grow too fast and I think sometimes you have to understand what's important. What do I need? What do I not need right now? And mm -hmm. I think that's what's really important. Because don't get me wrong. I bought a website right when I got started because I'm in finance. You need a website. Yeah. 100%. You know what I mean? But I didn't buy the office right away. I didn't buy, you know, the the, the car right away. I didn't want to. I didn't have to make my personal life look good. I wanted my clients to feel good. I wanted my clients to feel comfortable. They were my first concern. Then I focused on myself and my own personal stuff later on when, when the income was getting right. But in the beginning, every dollar had to be spent correctly. And I just watched people jump way too far ahead. They don't even have a service, but they want a website. I just want, mm. I want to send people somewhere so they have somewhere to go. And then what? Yeah. Then yeah. what? What are we doing now? Yeah, that's a fact. <laughs> you know like, what show me the money. 
the, the budgetista has this great analogy. Um, shout out to the budgetista and Jabril girl. Um, she said, "Hey, the the girl that has the business card, the website, the um, you know, Instagram page ready to to roll, doesn't have a business. Yeah, but." Teresa down the street that has girls lying down the block, ready for her to braid her hair, has a business. Just simple, simply put as that, you know, um, really getting the numbers in. So, you know, that's one point. That's one part I am with my business. You know, as I'm trying to make money now, I'm like, all right, I want to have discernment with the next steps that I take to not grow too quickly, because in my field, it's very easy to grow quickly. Yeah. So I'm very nervous about, you know, pushing the button and having everything start scaling up and, and not being prepared for that. Right. Yeah. So what advice do you have for entrepreneurs like myself uh, to be ready for that? It's tough because every business is obviously different and, and growth is a great thing. It's what we all strive for. Obviously, no one wants to stay stagnant in their business. Okay. You just have to know what your capabilities are. And I think being real with yourself. Is, is the most important thing you can do. If you know you can take on 10 clients, take on 10 and then start looking at bringing people on to your organization. Because when you're just a, a sole proprietor and you're just, it's only you and your business, man. You don't own a business, you own a job because you have to do every single part of that business. If you stop, your business doesn't continue. So the sooner you start bringing people on to do tasks that maybe not are below you, but just, take you away from what your your core skill is, the better your business is going to get. Because if I have two or three people that I'm delegating something to, and I'm not talking about paying people 50 grand a year, man, if you don't have it. I'm talking about college interns. I'm talking about university students that want experience. I'm talking about people that are willing to work for sales and commission. Bring some of those people on, have them do some of the work so they can build up their resume, their skill set. You mentor them, but now you're focused on what you're good at. Because for every minute you spend away from doing something that you're not good at or that you don't enjoy doing, it's going to mess with your head because now you're going to be afraid of growth. Like, I don't want to take on 10 more clients because look how hard I'm working for these 10. And it, you're going you're gonna to self-sabotage yourself not realizing that part of scaling up and growing is your whole organization growing. Not you as a person. You just can't. You're, you'll never build residual income based on just what you do solely. You need you need a team. You need people around you. It's really huge. We always talk about why and how and what, but no one ever talks about who. And I don't think you can have a business without who. The aces in their places, the right people in the right spots. That's more important sometimes than the what, the how, all that stuff. Because mm -hmm. if you have the right people, man, your business is going to excel naturally. The yeah. Not only, I, I just wanted to correct you on one point, you know, um, not only are you doing one job, you're doing many jobs. Yeah. Stop, <laughs> you know, your chief everything officer at that point, <laughs> yeah, man. Absolutely, man. Yeah. You can only do that for so long. You're going to eventually, it just burns you out. It just burns you out. Exactly. Then you start procrastinating and procrastination because like, you're just like, I'm just tired, man. I never get a break. Mm -hmm. And that, that grind can be dangerous. That's not, when I talk about hard work, that's a different kind of hard work. Mm -hmm. That's like unnecessary hard work. It's like you're sort of labor. Yourself. Yeah. yeah, that's tough, man. You got to find the right people, even the right people to, to, to talk to. So you have like some mentorship, some guidance. Just having people in your life that can help your business is, is super important. Don't try to do it all on your own. I see too many people do that. It's, it's 
like yeah. such a leading cause of failure. Facts, so, facts. So you, you spoke about investing and growth, right? And I've always been curious as small business owners, um, you know, you have your cash flow coming in and, you know, you direct it towards your liabilities, you got to pay staff and et cetera. Can businesses at who are, you know, two to 10 employees have like an investment account where they're investing their money's business in the market or within other like mutual funds and et cetera? You know how as an individual, you know, you can be in the market as well. Are there things that businesses can do to do such things as well to like have their money grow for them like as a you know like how elon invested the money in bitcoin and etc like they took their monies walk us through that like what's what's your outlook on that for small business owners like e-commerce people yeah so in order to really take advantage of like tax advantages or investment advantages you're gonna have to incorporate your business Mm because there's specific you know tax advantages you get when incorporating your business So if you have an incorporated business, you're going to be bringing in uh, an income into your business. And then through that business's earned income, it's called retained earnings. You can pay yourself a dividend or a salary. That's how you pay yourself. Right. So you're now like an employee of your own business. But that's what you want because you can now write off some of those salaries. You can hire people. It becomes a little bit easier as your business is building a cash flow. Mm -hmm. But the other advantage is that when you have good credit and you have a corporation, you can also apply for a business line of credit, 100 grand, 150 grand, whatever it is. You can now use that line of credit if you wanted to, instead of using that to invest and to make a Bitcoin or the stock market, you can use that line of credit to purchase homes and rental properties. You can use that to purchase a, a, a home and flip it if you wanted to. Because mm-hmm. when you're, if, if, if us three right now, we wanted to go in on a home, we're not business owners, just regular people, we want to go buy a house, when we go to flip that house, we're paying like 50% in tax, 51% in tax. It's crazy to flip mm-hmm. a house. People think they're going to make millions of dollars flipping homes. It's the capital gains, that. right? Yeah, it's you got you to gotta pay, man. It's a lot. But when you flip a home in a corporation, you only pay 11% in tax. So a lot wow. more of that money comes back to you. That money now goes into that retained earning, and it's building up your company's wealth and cash flow, and then you just rinse and repeat. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Pay back that loan reuse somebody else's money on that line of credit and purchase more things that become assets to the company. Mm -hmm. And then we actually have strategies for companies that do have those retained earnings in those corporations. We show people how to take money out of those corporations 100% tax-free. Because if you try to take that out for personal use or retirement, you're going to lose more than half of that money to to taxes. There's Mm -hmm. ways that corporations can take that money out 100% tax-free, but they have no idea how. And so that's a big strategy that we implement for our our clients that do have corporations. There's just so much you can do with money. Like when Mm -hmm. money comes in, man, it should not be sitting in your bank account. Idle money does not make you money. You lose money every time your money sits still. So when that money comes in, pay yourself enough to, to, to pay your personal life, pay your business expenses, your taxes, and whatever's left, invest. Invest in the market, invest with an advisor, you know, do whatever you can to keep earning money from multiple streams within your corporation. It's mm-hmm. it's intricate. There's a lot of answers to that and definitely something I work with one-on-one with every corporation because every income is, is different. But as mm-hmm. a sole proprietor, you're not going to have those same advantages. You're mm-hmm. just going to have to be better with your money. When money comes in, you're just going to have to understand that a big portion of that I'm going to have to invest and I'm going to live as lean as I can until my residuals on my investments start paying for my liabilities. So like, uh, for example, like a corporation can have two people, two, three people, 
And, you know, what are some, you know, three-step things that, you know, are so easy, like people can get started today and start setting up that foundation towards like having an, an investment arm of their business? Make sure you're, you're in contact with a really good accountant and a really good financial advisor. Because mm-hmm. uh, you don't want to try to guess this stuff on your own. You want consultants. You want people that you can go to in areas that you're not an expert in. If you're getting into marketing, man, you're you, it's because you're skilled in that area. Mm-hmm. But what most people don't realize, it doesn't matter what business you're in, you're always in the money game and you're always in the sales game. So always work with people in those areas that are experts. That's Maybe that's not your skill. So you can focus on the marketing and the day-to-day running of your business. Because if you have a, an accountant and a financial advisor that you can trust, they can take your business so much further than just your income. They're not going to generate leads for you, but they're going to help you manage every dollar that comes into your business more effectively. And how you choose those people is based on relationship. You know, don't just take somebody's word for it. Get to know the person. Ask them questions. Make sure you guys are in the same alignment with your goals, your vision, your dreams, what you guys want to create. And then, you know, work with those those agents. But never be loyal to any agent, man. Always be loyal to your money. So if that agent stops serving you and they're not supporting you, you got to be okay to move and find somebody better. Because your mm. business always has to go. And so many people stay loyal to the wrong people for too long. They're not yeah. serving me, but they're so nice. They're a family friend. You can't do that. They no become one, family. Yeah. yeah, man. There's no one or two steps for, for building wealth. There's so many, so many. And it's so customized for every person. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when it comes to this, you know, I hear get a new accountant, get a bookkeeper. Um, where do you start between the two of them? What, can you break it down real quick? Yeah, make sure you actually have a, an income, though. Make sure you have some clients first because do some market research. Make sure people there's a need for your business. You know, the biggest issue I see with, with young entrepreneurs is when it comes to sales, they're not doing it effectively. Sales is not taught properly. And a lot of us spend so much time on on marketing and funnels and all that kind of stuff. All of that is important. But eventually that person, no matter what the the tunnel, the funnel, whatever it has looks like, they're still going to have to talk to you or one of your people at one point in most cases. Unless you're strictly just pushing a course. But there's still got to have to be something. There's still got to be a personality there. And if you don't know how to speak to people and talk to people or figure out what their triggers are, your business is gonna is not going to make money. You can hire the best accountant and financial advisor in the world, but if they're not working with any money, they can't do anything for you. So the first thing you need to do is get good at your business and bring some income in. Once you start bringing in some steady income, then you can do that. It's like people that hire a business coach before they have a client. How are you going to do that? What problems are you going to bring that person? What are they solving for you? They can't do anything for you because you don't have anything to bring to the table. They're just taking your money and and regurgitating those books I have behind me. That's all they're doing at that point because there's nothing customized for you. And so the biggest mistake I see with sales is everyone is trying to find what somebody needs. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you guys something. Needs-based selling is not nearly as effective as you think it might be. Look at your lives right now. How many things are in your life that you need to do that you've been putting off? So many things. We all need to be better at this. We need to do this. I forgot I had to do this. I've had clothes over there that I haven't had time to do the laundry in so long. I just want to go buy new clothes, man. (laughs) We all need to do stuff that we're not doing. And Mm -hmm. when you go into a client and and try to explain to them how much they need your product and how much they need your services, they're taking that and just adding it to the other list of things they need to do that they're not going to get to. 
If you want people to buy anything, it doesn't matter what your business or service is, you can eliminate every sales book you read. All of that is just too much. Keep it so simple. If you want people to buy what you have, you have to do two things. You have to satisfy a want and you have to solve a problem. That's the only two reasons people buy anything in this world. It is not necessarily just because they need it. If you make them want it bad enough, they'll sell it to themselves. There's a reason why people buy a new iPhone every time it comes out, man, for one or two features on that phone. It's not that impressive, but that fear of missing out, that fear of wanting something that somebody else is going to have that you don't is going to make you buy that. Good salespeople don't sell, man. They, they plant a seed and then you sell it to yourself. And that's what people have to understand. And even when it comes to a problem, you guys have all stubbed your toe before. There's no worse pain when you're running a corner, hit your toe. In that moment, the first words out of your mouth are never, I love my business. I got to send that email. I want to buy my mom a house. No, it, it most likely starts with an F. And, and in that moment, the only thing you care about is that pain in your foot being gone. You don't care about anything else that's happening in your life. Yeah. So as an entrepreneur and a good salesperson, your job is to pinpoint those pain and, and, and really highlight and really press down on that pain because eventually all that person is ever going to want is a solution. And that's when you come in with your product or service. So you got to hit the pain before you hit the service. We're out there hitting our services, not knowing what anyone's pain is. That's why when you go on my Instagram, my social media, you're not seeing anything about money or finance. I don't talk about that stuff. That's like shooting a, a, a shotgun, man, and hoping I hit something. I'm more of a sit back, take out the, the sniper rifle and just find the right person and knock them down because I'm going to spend a little time getting to know them in my DMs. I'm going to spend a little time getting to know them on a Zoom until I find those pain points and then I just designed my product around their pain. No, that, that, that's very smart. Um, one thing I want to get at, you know, is I find, you know, as like I'm, I'm starting to work towards hiring a sales guy for my team. One thing that I'm concerned about is sales goals, right? Because mm -hmm. the fact that we want to have people educated and work towards getting them educated to meet. I mean, not to meet, but to actually convert them without being salesy, right? At the same time, you've got to meet sales goals. How do you balance the two? It's it's not easy. Um, you got to be a little bit flexible with your goals in the beginning when it comes to, you know, hiring maybe a new person. Um, salespeople, you know, they like to be, a lot of people say salespeople are dime a dozen, man, but they're not. A good salesperson, a good investment in a good salesperson can really, really do wonders for your business. So in that beginning stage, instead of having the conversation or some belief in them, make sure they have the tools to be successful. A lot of times we hire salespeople. And we want these guys to just like drain blood from a stone. We want them to come up with like everything and give them nothing because we're scared. Well, what if they leave? Yeah, but they, they might leave anyway. But I promise you, when you give somebody a foundation and the tools to be successful and you believe in them and you back them up, they're going to hit your sales goal, man, because they're motivated. They're mm -hmm. excited about the process. If somebody, if you're just beating somebody up mentally about always targets and always goals and always goals, you're going you're gonna to lead to people making mistakes because people want recognition. If and if that recognition is only, only ever present when they do you know, a, a sales goal or they hit an achievement, they're going to start getting rid of their logic and their integrity to keep getting that, that like love from you, that, 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 that having their name being said, you know, look at this guy, he hit their sales goal. 
So they're going to do whatever it takes to get to that point. That's what you don't want. Because now you're going to get a lot of mistakes happening. You're going to get a lot of bad business, a lot of bad sales. Instead, you got to get them to fall in love with the business, fall in love with the, the process. Have them make sure they have the same beliefs and core beliefs that you do in your company. And they're going to naturally start hitting those targets. You know, you don't want to incentivize them for the wrong reasons. You want to recognize their behavior towards achieving the goal and not just achieving the goal. That's what we do with our guys. We have a saying, it's, it's behavior that's favorably recognized is often repeated. So we always highlight the good little moves our guys make every day. Even if it, it didn't bring us closer to our goal or even if, you know, we missed our goal, but we highlight the effort and what they're putting into it every day. And they're going to feel good by the work, not just by the reward. Wow. Say that again, please. Like you recognize the small so things. Be, yeah. Behavior favorably recognized is often repeated. So if you have a team of four salespeople and one or two of them are doing something that's like, yes, I want my team to do this on a consistent basis. Every time they do that, you make a big deal out of it and you make sure people hear it. But then when somebody does something you don't recognize, you don't scald them. You just don't acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. And people will stop doing things they're not acknowledged for and they'll start gravitating towards a thing that they're recognized for. Mm -hmm. And most people as bosses, we beat up them. We beat our guys up when they do something wrong. It's got to be the opposite. Ignore the wrong unless it's detrimental to the business. Ignore it. Don't acknowledge it and keep acknowledging the things that you want repeated. People will mm -hmm. naturally gravitate doing the right thing. Got you. All right, so one thing I actually want to get into, this, this is a, a quick thing as we work towards wrapping up. Um, do you think sales is nature or nurture? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I don't know. I, I was not a natural salesperson, but I think my surroundings forced me to think a little bit differently. And then somebody saw that and kind of honed those skills a little bit. I think you got to have a little bit of something in you. I don't think you can fully nurture uh, a salesperson or an entrepreneur. I think they have to have some raw, natural gift within them a little bit that you mm -hmm. recognize and then you just kind of sharpen it and make better. I don't think anyone can just be in sales and I just don't think anyone can be an entrepreneur. Uh, I think they can try. I think they can maybe make a little bit of money, but the love will never be there because they're, they're playing so far out of their comfort. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like... I'm in sales. I've been in sales like for years, like from time, right? I think there has to be like, you have to have like the gift of gab a little bit, right? You got to be able to talk, right? You got to have some charisma. And then the thing is you got to have some stamina, right? I think people don't really recognize that stamina in sales is everything because if you can go two, 300 doors, I remember doing this in window cleaning, you know, it's seven o'clock coming up. It's about to wrap it up. You got to have the mental fortitude to like know that I got it. When I knock on this door, I'm getting a yes on this quote. And that's a big win already because like you know that commission is like seven bills right there for just one day. And that's one thing like, you know, sales is all about. It's all about mental fortitude. Once you have that, then you can get into the training part, like where if you're getting into technical sales for technology, you need proper training for that because it's certain things you got to understand when you're looking at organizations and how to attack that sale and how to like talk to people for those specific like persona types that you're going to need to talk to right so once you have that framework of stamina you got to have to be able to talk and no social cues everything else can be taught and anybody can be a great salesperson if they have those things yeah i think you got to come to the table with something 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I've had some incredible people in my organization. They were just not natural salespeople and they struggled, but you know, we loved them. They, they were great with clients. They were great for morale. They had great attitudes, but they just, that longevity couldn't be there because they just didn't have the natural skill set that just, mm-hmm. you can't read in a book. You know, you can't, you can't just, do it. So you're going to get better over time, but some stuff has to be a little natural. It's always been natural for me to talk to people. I've mm-hmm. never had an issue with that. So I just kept getting better over the years, but I, I enjoy doing it. And if you don't mm-hmm. enjoy talking to people uh, or you don't enjoy the work itself, even if you're skilled at it, you're not going to be successful. Facts. Facts. Yeah, man. Now, I you think you brought up a good point is, is, is the stamina. Because I remember at one point I was I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, man, this is a lot of pain. And I'm like, I'm just like, I've become a glutton for pain at this point. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like I have a mental callus yeah. just developing in my brain. I don't know if you all ever felt that. I'm like, man, I've gone through oh, a lot of pain. Bro, you know? I'm like perma, perma calloused out yeah. from, from so, so many nose, man. Yeah, for real, for real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, man. So as we work towards wrapping up, you know, what practical, tactical advice can you give our small entrepreneurship audience? Um, when I mean small, I mean like small business entrepreneur uh, audience to go out and actually apply the next time they go to talk to somebody in their sales calls. There's a couple things. And the first one is, Take whatever you want out of the equation. Just take it off the table in the beginning. Don't go in there with intentions to close a sale. Go in there with intentions to build a little bit of a relationship, some rapport. Because if you show your cards too soon, man, people are going to smell that. People get inundated with sales calls and DMs and stuff every day, especially business owners, especially, you know, regular fans. They're getting that every day. So if you want to be different, you got to stand outside that box. So take a little bit of time, get to know someone, ask them questions, build up that that relationship until you figure out what it is that they want, until you can locate and pinpoint that problem, then and only then do you introduce your product, your service, based on what information they've already given you. Because every close on this planet has the information. And if you they're going to give you the information to close them if you can just listen long enough. Most salespeople or business owners are so excited about their business. That's all they want to talk about. And so you're there pouring your heart out, giving all the answers, and then they're just waiting for you to finish talking so they can talk about how great their life and their business is and why they need to do this. You weren't even listening. You know, Mm -hmm. take a second. Don't rush it. Don't slide into somebody's DM and think you're going to get a close that same day. You know, compliment them. Take some time to research their business. You know, even with your podcast, same deal. If somebody wants to be on your show, would you rather somebody say, hey, I make a really good income. I, I have an awesome business. I want to be on your show. Or would you rather somebody slide into your DM and say, listen, man, I took the time. I listened to about four or five episodes. And I just think what you guys are doing is incredible. I love the direction you're doing. Here's some of my content. Here's some of my stuff. I'd love to add value to your show. I think I can bring something to the table for your audiences. When you do something Thanks. like that, people are going to be like, man, I would. I, okay, I, I want this guy's in it for us. He's not just in it for him. But if I come in there just straight like, oh, I got the next big thing or I want to talk about this or I got that. It's just it's not going to land the same. You know, it's you got to go in there with like, how do I give before I take? And if you can have that mentality, I think you're going to be fine. doesn't matter the service. There's millionaires in every industry, man. There's a reason. I think you got to look at it like dating, right? You don't expect 
to like you know it's I, we talk about that scene in Mad Men when Pete Campbell is like walking behind Don Draper and Pete's like oh my god Don I just cannot like you're the best creative director like I just want to be like you and then Don just turns around and is like hey look Pete you know let's take it slow down here a little bit I don't want to wake up the next morning pregnant right <laughs> one of the most classic lines ever it's like that's the same thing in business and sales right you gotta court them you gotta take them out you gotta you know, warm them up. You, it's it's everything in life is all about warm ups and getting in the game and then start dunking. You don't walk in a game, start doing three sixties and whatever. Just start doing some bunnies around the rim. Start warming up the wrist, and then once you feel like you're ready to go back and jack that three, like you know when you're ready, right? So it's the same thing with sales. You got to read the cues and 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 pounce when you feel like that the iron is hot. True, man. You send just a script. Or you just send like this, all your information right at the beginning. Now you're leaving everything in their hands because mm-hmm. they're going to look at that and they're going to come up with their own conclusion. They're going to come up, you know, how does this fit in my life? People don't recognize their wants and their problems. They have, they're, as entrepreneurs, we're, we're taught to avoid our problems. Mm-hmm. We don't have to understand that if they don't have awareness of their own wants and problems, they're not going to look at your business as a solution for anything. They're going to look at it as a bill. And that's why people say that's why people say, you know, I can't afford this or this doesn't make sense or I don't I, you know, they're, they're giving you those problems because they're looking at it as a standpoint of this isn't solving a problem. This isn't giving me a want because they don't know any better. It's your job as a salesperson, as an entrepreneur to locate those within your client, make sure they understand it deeply, then provide the service that, that either satisfies that want or solves that problem. You can't do that if you're the one talking the whole time. If you're not asking questions and you're not patient with it, it's not going to work for you. You're going to you're going to have to go through a lot of numbers. Everyone says sales right. is a numbers game. I have to talk to so many people before I get a sale. That's not always true. Mm-hmm. If you're talking to 100 people and getting one sale, that's bad because now you're thinking in your head, OK, I just got to talk to 100 people to get another sale. But what about the other 99, man? They don't have problems. They don't have a want. They don't want to save money. They don't want to get recognition. They don't want marketing for their business. They don't want mm-hmm. it. They just don't. They don't. No, they didn't want it because you're lazy at doing it. You're, you didn't take the time to get to know them. Anybody can be sold, man. I promise you. If there's a need or, or if there's a want or if there's a problem, anybody can be sold. But it's mm-hmm. it, it, you can't be a lazy salesperson. Uh, you you can't just beat them up with numbers. You gotta you gotta kind of give them some kindness, give them some respect. Most definitely, man. That was beautifully said. Before we get out of here, own any questions, man? Nah, man, I'm speeched out. Awesome. With that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up the podcast. The hustle is what you can control. So control your grind and control your life. I'm Alex. And I'm Owen. Awesome, guys. Thank you for having me. I'm Mario. I appreciate it. You guys killed this, man. Such an awesome experience. Yeah, man. Likewise, man. You delivered. You 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 sermoned it, man. Thank you. <laughs> That's a fact. Definitely my game up. So thank you guys for for even allowing me on here. I really do appreciate it. And anything I can do back for you guys, please let me know. Our pleasure. And yes, we'll, we'll talk. All right. That wraps up the podcast, guys. Peace. Peace. Later. Thank you so much for listening. The conversation continues on our Instagram at 247Hustler. We post very frequently. And be sure to check out our merch at hustleovereverything.co. We have some amazing sweaters, hats, mugs, and a lot more. Lastly, our Proud to Pay program is linked in the description below. Thank you so much for your support.
talk to you next Monday. Peace.